Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Betsy Hill, author of Your Child Learns Differently, Now What? The Truth for Parents. Every parent of a school-aged child knows students are struggling. 70% of students aren't performing sufficiently at grade level. The National Center for Educational Statistics reports that reading and math scores for fourth graders in 2022, following the pandemic, dropped to levels not seen in two decades, with the greatest decline in students with individualized education plans, or better known as IEPs. Award-winning neuroeducator Betsy Hill is committed to helping children achieve their fullest learning potential by using tested and proven neuroscience. She and co-author Roger Stark bring forth the the guide to helping parents understand how brains learn and how their child's brain learns best, empowering parents like never before. Betsy Hill teaches strategic thinking at Lake Forest Graduate School of Management and holds an MA in teaching and an MBA from Northwestern University. Welcome to the show, Betsy. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, I'm just going to start off with the title. Your child learns differently. Now what? The truth for parents. So what is the truth for parents? I mean, parents are sitting here or listening. What is the truth? What's the truth about learning? I had some maybe buzzwords in here. Neuroscience, you're a neuroeducator. What is that? What are we talking about? (laughs) So what we're talking about is how the brain learns. So neuroscience, of course, refers to how our brains function and um, what Most people don't have a great appreciation for, educators and parents alike, is how that process happens. So it's not, uh, our brains aren't, you know, a um, cup or a bowl that you can just pour information into. Our brains actually build themselves, and that's how they learn. They make connections among all these little cells called neurons. And so our brains build themselves and build that knowledge and understanding and those skills. Um, and that's important because as, as parents and as teachers, we don't just transmit information to our students. We actually have to provide the kinds of experiences that help them build their understanding. So what are those experiences? What do we need to do? I mean, you refer in the book to cognitive skills. What do we mean by the cognitive skills that we have to build in our kids? Right. So cognitive skills are how we learn. These are the mental processes that our brains use to take in, store, retrieve, organize, understand information. And some of them are things that parents are likely already fairly familiar with, things like attention. But there are different types of attention. We have sustained attention, which means we can stay on task for a period of time, And selective attention is another kind of attention, which is when we are able to screen out things that are distracting. And then uh, other kinds of ways that our brains take in information, various aspects of visual processing, various aspects of auditory processing, how we store information, our memory skills, um, how we integrate all this information. So there are dozens of important cognitive skills that our children use to learn, and if they're working efficiently and accurately, it's great, but if not, then we're going to have some stumbling blocks, and and learning can be uh, quite challenging if that's the case. Betsy, when you're born, let's start from the very beginning. We're all born with 
what? That we have different, co- I don't know, co- not cognitive skills. Describe our brains at birth and then how they become, or they're malleable. I guess we're using the word neuroplasticity. Uh, right. They're not set in right. stone, so to speak. Okay, so we're born, the newborn, what? Some of us are born smarter. Some of us don't have the same intellect when we're born, and we. But so right. So that's a great question because most of us have grown up in in a society and environment where we have believed that we were born with a certain amount of intellect, and that's all we would ever have, and that's actually not true. So when we talk about what the truth is. The truth is that intelligence is not fixed, and it can be developed. And that's what this concept of the malleability of the brain, the fact that it can change, or neuroplasticity, as the neuroscientists refer to it. And so what that means is that when we are born, we have about 85 billion brain cells called neurons in our brains. And what happens is, as we develop we create connections among all these billions of neurons until we have trillions and trillions and trillions of connections that organize our brain into the way that we understand and store information. And so, um, so what we do is our brains are growing. So our, our brains are, um, are start off, you know, you can think of a newborn and think of what happens by the time that child is five or six his brain and his head size or her head size is now 90% of an adult. And that's not more neurons, that's more connections. So the richness of the environment, the activities that children do, all of that is what promotes the development of these connections among neurons and helps our brains grow and become more effective and faster. What do they do with kids in school today? I'm just as you're describing this the process. I'm thinking about myself when we were in school. We they immediately say in pre kind pre K maybe uh, definitely in kindergarten they divide you up into the A B C group or the birds and the bears and the flowers or whatever. And everybody knew the flowers (laughs) were smarter than the bears, even though they didn't want you to have. uh, uh, You know, they didn't want the kids to to have to think that. So right, yeah. do they do, is that some, is that some, obviously something we don't want to do or how does that work when you actually translate it into curriculum in pre-K, in, in, kind, at, in kindergarten? So what happens, yeah, and the, the, I th- a lot of that still, a lot of that still happens. And in fact, most kids, if you ask them who the smart kids are in the class and the dumb kids are in the class, they will tell you, they'll give you names uh, because that's, how we've been led to believe and how we we tend to think about it. But the fact of the matter is that everybody has the ability to develop their cognitive capacity and it can go through a tremendous amount of change in pre-kindergarten, after kindergarten, well into our teens, through adulthood, in fact. Um, Many of these cognitive cognitive skills can be dramatically improved um, with the right kinds of experiences. And so what happens is, and, and there's nothing wrong with bees and birds because it's, or a, you know, it's probably yeah. better than number one, number two, number three, because then that really ranks people. But 
the unfortunate thing is that it doesn't help children understand that talent is developed, that skills are developed, that intellect is developed, and that everything they put into, and that everybody learns differently. And that's another important aspect of what we're trying to share with this book is that everybody has cognitive strengths and weaknesses. I do, you do, our kids do, everybody does. And when we understand that, when we, especially when we understand a child's strengths, we can help them use those strengths to be more effective learners and to actually make the learning process a lot more fun. So if everybody learns differently, give us an example of that. Take two kids who learn differently. How, what how what does are they that learning? Look like? Yeah, what does right. that look like? How are they learning differently? Yeah. So here's a real a simple example that I think um, most people find reasonably intuitive. So some people have a better memory for visual information, and some people have better in, in uh, memory for verbal information. So visual would mean a chart, a graph, an image, a picture, a diagram anything that you're looking at that's visual. And verbal would be something you read or you hear or someone tells you and that kind of thing. And it turns out that most people have one of those skills that is stronger than the other. So my verbal memory is actually better than my visual memory. And so if I need to remember what an image looked like, I have to put it into words, and that makes it easier for me to remember. A child who is stronger with visual memory is going to remember an image or a picture far better, far more easily with less effort. So if you think about how teachers tend to um, assign kids learning new vocabulary words, for example, so typically they will say, um, write the word, write the definition of the word, and then write the word in a sentence. Well, that's great for kids with stronger verbal memory, but it's actually a very ineffective and inefficient way for kids with stronger visual memory who would be far better served by drawing a picture and associating that, and that is the most, um, the best way for them to learn that information. Can we take now, let's say I'm calling that the average kid, uh, what about other both ends of the spectrum the other those kids who have learning disabilities kids who have maybe oh, art, autistic or have uh, other issues with learning are at one end of the scale and then what about the kids who i think you refer to them as i don't know if these are the twice exceptional students but kids who are at the other mm-hmm. end who can learn no matter what i mean they're finished i remember a kid in one of my geometry classes he was finished the book in a week that was it. You know, this was in ninth grade, right? And you know, the rest of uh, yeah. us were struggling with geometry. If you don't, if you yeah, if you don't get it that way, it can be a little irritating. Exactly. <laughs> when so they it, when they go through that, yeah. So it, it, those ends of the spectrum are are where a lot of the challenges take place. But there are you know even there's no such thing as an average kid because even average kids, I've never seen actually a profile. Of, every, of a child where all of the skills are right in the middle. There are always some strengths and some that are a little bit stronger, a little bit weaker. So, so it makes sense for everybody. But at the ends of the spectrum, it can be really challenging. And um, so children with learning disabilities, um, you mentioned in the introduction about children who have individualized education plans or IEPs, 
And um, most of those have some form of a learning disability or challenge, and it could be related to autism or ADHD, or it could simply be a dyslexia or another learning disability. And what that means, um, uh, they call it a specific learning disability, and what that means is there is a weakness in one of these underlying cognitive skills that is the reason that the child struggles with reading or math or whatever it is. So it's not that instruction or the curriculum is, is you know, the causing the difficulty. It's actually these underlying cognitive processes. And what we know now is that we can improve those and we can actually, on average, improve the cognitive skills of students with learning disabilities almost to the level of a typically developing child. And then you see these great leaps of gains that they make in reading and math because those barriers are no longer there. They're now learning more like their more typically developing peers. So that's the one end of the, of the um, spectrum. And the other end is, is gifted kids. And gifted usually means that they are very, very strong in a particular area. So your, your classmate with, who finished the geometry textbook in a week is probably now doing advanced math somewhere. Oh, he went to MIT. And, but they, they probably also struggled in some areas of learning. I don't know what he, his or her uh, results were like or her challenges were like in, in uh, English class or foreign language or social studies or any of the rest of it. But um, when, we call, when we talk about twice exceptional, we're talking about real gifted kids who also have a, a weakness, a, a cognitive uh, weakness that um, is impairing them. So, um, Wait, if you, you are have, gifted, you always have to have a weakness? Is that what you're saying? No, no, gifted? no, no. no. Oh. If I, I didn't mean to say oh. that. But if you're twice exceptional that means you are both gifted and have a weakness. I see. Okay, There's, that's that yeah. term. Okay. Right. But it's very common, actually, for very gifted kids also to have some areas that are, that are not as strong. You know, there's a whole attitude towards kids. Uh, this is uh, gifted kids, for instance, and I don't know if that still exists, but one of my kids was, quote, gifted, and they put the, him in an a gifted class in seventh or eighth, seventh grade, I guess, and all these gifted kids and for a whole year and loved it. I mean, just loved the class. The next year, the school, the schools decided that uh, this wasn't good. These kids were getting too much attention and that the gifted kids should be teaching the kids who were not so gifted and put them in the regular classroom. And uh, my son said that was the worst year of his life. That I mean, the, the book, mm. when they, when they did that boredom, you know, just, and he's not a teacher. That wasn't his skill anyway, and never, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> he didn't have to be doing that, teaching other kids. But I, I think that's sometimes still the attitude in terms of school schools and the school systems of, of wanting everybody to be equal and not recognizing the differences and, and how to actually teach kids with these differences that you're talking about. That's just one example. Yeah, so, and there's this, Disconnect between, uh, there's a lot of emphasis in education today on equity, on fairness, and it's critical. I mean, it's just, it's probably one of the most important issues in education, but equity doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. And in fact, you know, having a child in a gifted program is sort of like giving them an IEP 
but because they have gifts that you want to help develop. And really, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the IEPs for students with learning disabilities focus on what they can't do. Now, they focus on those weak areas and they provide accommodations, you know, more time to take the test and those kinds of things rather than helping them also try to figure out how to use their stronger skills to be more successful. My, my true belief is that every child should have an IEP because we all learn differently. Everyone has strengths. Everyone has weaker areas. And when we understand what those are, are we can be much more successful. And learning is a lot more fun, a lot more engaging. Um, when you try to equal things out, you know, you try to level the playing field or what, however they the learning field, however you want to refer to it, then you end up with uh, children like your son who are going to be bored to tears and other kids who are st- still struggling and feel terrible about how they do. And they're the ones that sit in the back of the class with their heads down on the table and won't raise their hand and will just look at you and say, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just stupid, I can't do that rather than saying, okay, here's how I can do that. Here's, here's how I can develop my ability to learn. So the message is accentuate the positive no matter what, where the kid is at. Well, I guess wherever the, kid, wherever the child is, you start with where the child is at, and then you go from there. But what does that say for the teachers and the training that teachers need to recognize that and curriculum? I mean, putting this into, you know, real... Right situations, um, which you do, but uh, talk to us about that. So most, unfortunately, most educators um, through their teacher preparation courses have never actually heard the word brain. Um, they talk, there's a lot of discussion about ways of teaching, how you manage your classroom, how you deliver the curriculum, how you chunk the curriculum, all those kinds of things. But there's not much conversation about how the learning process actually takes place. And most educators have not been trained and probably can't um, tell you what cognitive skills are or the role that they play. Um, The research says that 50% of the variance in academic outcomes is predicted based on cognitive skills not on teachers, not on size of classroom, not on technology or any of the other things that we typically uh, understand that we have control over and try to, um, try to improve in schools. And, and so the, if we can shift the focus to the student, to the learner, and how they learn, and both, you know, I think that your point is absolutely on point, which is uh, educating teachers and helping train them to understand the role of these cognitive skills. Um, and there's a lot of, of uh, support in technology now that helps make this translation into a personalized plan far easier than it used to be. So it's a lot of work for a teacher to personalize uh, the learning experience, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I think the perception is that it's, it's beyond the what we can ask teachers to do. But in fact, if it's done right, it can be actually um, a lot of fun for teachers and make the teaching experience a lot better as well. Betsy, what happened during the pandemic? 
I, you know, I read things. Some kids thrived, other kids didn't. And I think I alluded to that or even said it in the beginning in the intro. Like, what happened with kids during the pandemic in terms of their cognitive abilities and skill sets? Yeah, well, that's um, that's a really interesting and important question. What happened during the pandemic is that there are some children, like my granddaughter, thrived during the pandemic because she got so much individualized attention in her remote environment. Um, but she also desperately missed her her classmates and her friends. And I could see the impact on both my granddaughter's social development. Um, so that was you know, even if it was something where academically they thrived, then they were still experiencing those issues. What we hear, we, we hear from parents over and over again is, I watched my child during the pandemic. I watched them struggle. Uh, they had difficulty sustaining attention. They weren't engaged. They weren't getting what was coming at them, and they sort of gave up. Um, and what they say so had... Parents in general had two different reactions. One group said, um, boy, I really see how difficult it is for my child, and I really have to take my hat off to their teachers. I don't know how they put up with him. And then the other <laughs> side was the parents who said, oh, I had no idea that my child was struggling like this. I thought everything was okay. But in fact, there's something going on. And and I really feel like I haven't uh, been told the whole truth about what's going on at school. I see my child needs help, and I don't know what to do. And the school hasn't been helpful. So those are sort of the two kinds of reactions. And uh, we do see actually some impact on um, cognitive development from the pandemic, where especially in um, skills like verbal memory and verbal reasoning, We've seen um, some decreases uh, in general for students, so that has definitely impacted it, and it's it's part of what's creating it so such a difficult time now in trying to help students catch up. And getting back to maybe even your, the example you gave of your granddaughters, some kids thrive in like very like being alone they learn well they don't fry they don't do well in in big with other big groups of kids in a classroom so those kids would probably from a social emotional standpoint that may enhance their learning let's say during the pandemic and i would also imagine uh, depending on what your parents or your whoever was taking care of you what their skill sets were right how much they were able to to yeah i mean that's a huge huge huge, yeah huge and and what their skill sets and what their what their you know time and availability were we you know we asked parents to take over educating their children and many of them had full-time jobs that obviously they need to do to support their family and put food on the table and pay the rent and all those kinds of things. So it's, it was, um, it was extraordinarily difficult for, for parents. And, and most parents don't feel like they had the expertise. They can, you know, put the kid in front of the computer and say here, but after that, what happens is, is not something that they felt very good about. Um, and, and it was good for some kids, uh, you know, especially, um, Kids who were bullied in school or things like that. You, you talked about social and emotional well-being, yeah. and that was helpful for some children, but 
for many others, it was that lack of social interaction and feeling connected and feeling like there was somebody that they, you know, really enjoyed spending time with um, that just didn't, you know, there's no recess time. There's no lunch time with other kids in the, the online environment. And so it was, it was pretty devastating. Yeah. I had three, my three grandchildren, uh, three boys set of twins. They were, the twins were two and their brother was four. So, and so close in age. So they had somebody to play with and mm. that was good for them. They, they got a lot of, you know, an opportunity and two year olds are more not into necessarily this kind of curriculum that we've been talking about, but we have a couple minutes left. There's so many more questions. Uh, obviously listeners should read the book. Uh, we've been, I've been talking to Betsy Hill and the title of the book is your child learns differently. Now what the truth for parents. So uh, Betsy, tell us where uh, we can buy the book and uh, also about uh, websites that will, we can follow what, what you're doing in terms of your work. Sure. Uh, so the book is available on online booksellers, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and many other online booksellers. So um, it should be e- pretty easy to find. And um, it just was released yesterday, actually. So it's officially you can don't have to pre-order now. You can actually <laughs> okay. order it. And um, and the website is my brainware my b r a i n where w a r e dot com and we have a lot of information a ton we have some cognitive rating skills that are free um, a lot of webinars and um, blogs and information on cognitive skills that that parents can use to understand more about what's going on with their own child yep yours is a how to guide and a uh... A must read. Well, anyway, thanks so much for being on the show today. It was uh, thank you. Yeah, it was a great very pleasure. informative. Yes, thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 